Welcome to GYN Corner with Dr. McDaniel, all things health-related for women. Good morning, this is Dr. McDaniel at GYN Corner. I'm a gynecologist in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. And please check out not just the Facebook page, but the YouTube page also, please. It's also called GYN Corner. It's all things health-related for women. Today, I'm going to do a part two on testing for the polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, PCOD. Um, as I stated previously, polycystic ovarian syndrome is a collection of signs and symptoms representing several medical issues. So predominantly, it's threefold. It's hyperandrogenism, which is increased male pattern hair growth and loss. It's also insulin resistance, which is a pre-diabetic state with manifestations of central obesity or the apple versus pear, and of course diabetes and its uh, ensuing issues. And it's also or predominantly a syndrome of anovulatory cycles, which means that the women don't ovulate regularly, and if you don't ovulate regularly, you don't get menstrual cycles regularly. So it's usually irregular skipped cycles and or abnormal bleeding in between cycles. So for the most part, women with polycystic ovarian syndrome will have their cycles every two to three months or four to six months, occasionally once a year or once every two years, and then um, uh, approximately maybe 30 to 40 percent of them will just have abnormal bleeding so maybe when they get the cycle every two to three months it might last for two to three weeks or they may not get real cycles they may have uh, one or two days of light bleeding in January and then in May they could have two weeks of heavy bleeding with clots and then nothing until October where they'll have a half a day of just brown smudges so it's really irregular and unpredictable <coughs> Sorry, and that's due to irregular ovulation patterns. And um, the syndrome is predominantly manifested by the irregular cycles, but also by uh, increased testosterone effects, so male pattern, hair growth loss, and then increased acne. The testing, as I stated yesterday, is on several levels. It's predominantly hormonal. So the first level of testing is to confirm that the irregular cycles are not due to other medical conditions. So we check pituitary gland in the brain, and that's prolactin. If the prolactin is elevated, then that will cause irregular or skipped cycles. Predominantly, prolactin is elevated when someone is pregnant because it's the hormone that allows for breast milk production. Milk is called lactin, so it's um, the hormone that produces breast milk. <coughs> Sorry, it can also be elevated if there's a tumor, either a microscopic tumor that we can't see in the pituitary gland or a macroscopic tumor that we can see. But if the prolactin hormone is elevated and someone's not pregnant, it's predominantly due to a tumor of that prolactin gland that's called a prolactinoma. So we check the prolactin hormone. If the prolactin hormone is elevated, then that could be 
the source of the irregular cycles and then that woman has to be evaluated to see if there's a tumor that we can see with the naked eye that's usually a head CT and then if there isn't a tumor we can see with the naked eye she's given medication we also check for the thyroid hormone thyroid um, is here in the neck and the thyroid hormone if the hormone is underactive so it's low that will also often cause irregular or skipped cycles because it supports uh, a lot of the metabolic and regulatory f uh, functions in our body so if the thyroid hormone is low additional testing is done to pinpoint specific aspects of the hormone that are compromised and usually women are sent to an endocrinologist which is a thyroid hormone specialist uh, for medication and management. Occasionally a primary care doctor will manage thyroid disorders. The next hormone is ovarian hormone function. So uh, the pituitary also affects the ovarian hormones and um, that's luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone. Those come from the brain and they tell the ovaries to produce eggs and then the ovary responds to the egg production with estrogen or estradiol. So we check LH, FSH and E2. If those hormones are normal but the ratio is a little bit off, classically we say if the ratio for the first two, the FSH and the LH is off by a one to three ratio that's consistent with anovulatory cycles and hence PCOS. So for instance, if the follicle stimulating hormone is seven or eight, then the luteinizing hormone or the LH would be three times higher. So it'd be like 21, 26 or something like that. So it'd be a one to three ratio. That's not hard and fast though because some women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome will have a 1 to 2 ratio. They rarely have a 1 to 1 or a 1 to 1.5 ratio which is the normal ratio for normal ovulating women. So it's usually at least a 1 to 2 and ideally a 1 to 3 to really help clinch the diagnosis. <coughs> Sorry, the estrogen levels will be moderately low. So low is less than 32 picomics, I'm sorry, picograms, and then per mil. And then um, if someone has um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it will be a little bit higher than that. Usually we check the hormone levels um, during the menstrual cycle for women who are having abnormal cycle patterns. But of course, if someone has PCOS, we may not be able, we, we can't predict when their cycle is so we just check it randomly and then usually randomly those um, first two hormones LHFSH will be slightly elevated but still vaguely within normal range and the estrogen level will be within normal range but slightly um, lower or depressed. So those are the primary ovarian hormones. We then check the hormones that are predominantly responsible for the increased androgen sensitivity or manifestations. And androgen is referring to more masculine hormone. So we check for testosterone levels, the total testosterone level that's circulating in the body and the amount that's free. Only the free testosterone lev level is going to indicate the degree of symptoms that it's causing. 
So the total is usually going to be within normal limits. It's the free that will often be either top normal or a little bit higher than normal. Predominantly, the free will be top normal, and that's because most women with polycystic ovarian syndrome are more sensitive to that top normal level of testosterone that's circulating. So their skin responds stronger to the testosterone level than a woman who doesn't have PCOS. And that's thought to be due to enzymes on the skin level. So the testosterone level is usually top normal, sometimes a little bit elevated. We also then check for sex hormone binding protein, uh, sex hormone binding globulin, which is a protein that soaks up testosterone. So even if you have slightly elevated testosterone levels, if your sex hormone binding globulin, uh, that protein is really high, then it's not going to manifest so strongly on your skin because it's being soaked up. So it's bringing it down to what would be a lower or, or more within normal lower normal range for women. But for women with PCOS or PCOD, predominantly the sex hormone binding globulin is going to be low because the amount of testosterone that's circulating isn't being depressed at all or soaked up or decreased with that protein. So the full effect is being manifested on that woman's skin and then it's being magnified because it looks like women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, they have skin enzymes that respond strongly to the testosterone. We also check for 17-hydroxyprogesterone um, and androstenedione, and those are uh, hormones that also reflect increased testosterone-related um, uh, hormones, so increased masculinization. And um, it's reflective of what we call a late onset congenital adrenal hyperplasia. <coughs> Sorry. And let's see, uh, sliding into home base, uh, we get to the insulin resistance aspects. And that's going to be fasting levels of glucose and insulin to tell us how their body's um, responding without any spikes or without any incentive from food or blood sugar levels. So it's a fasting, and fasting is usually considered 10 hours of not eating, so sleeping ideally six to eight hours and then not eating breakfast and getting the blood level checked. The glucose level should be low. It should be less than 100. I think the lab results usually, the lab reports will usually say like less than 110, but really it should be less than 100 and ideally less than 80. Um, the fasting insulin should also be, sorry, <coughs> the fasting insulin should also be low. Uh, I think the lab results will say it should be less than six, but realistically or ideally it should be less than four because if you don't have sugar cir circulating, you shouldn't have insulin circulating. If you have a low glucose level, low sugar level, and you haven't eaten for 10 hours, you should have a low sugar level unless you're already diabetic, but you have high insulin levels circulating, that means that there's a constant insulin uh, force in your bloodstream and it's down-regulating or it's decreasing the sensitivity of your body's um, receptors or cells to respond to insulin, which is, means that that person is already starting to veer towards diabetes because diabetes is also a disease or manifestation of resistance to insulin. So your body has to keep producing more and more insulin 
in order to decrease glucose levels. And then uh, in addition to that would be what we call a hemoglobin A1C. So that's a test to give us kind of a, so the insulin and the glucose give us just a short term, just today, maybe yesterday, how things look as far as glucose and insulin and diabetes. The hemoglobin A1C gives us about a three month time frame, how things have been looking over the last three months. Does it look normal? Do, do you look pre-diabetic or are you actually diabetic? So let's see, those are all the, the tests for polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, PCOD, uh, in more detail. And then lastly is the sonogram. The sonogram or the ultrasound to look at the uterus to confirm that there isn't any abnormal tissue development, buildup, masses, growths that's responsible for any irregular bleeding, or that there, and also that there isn't any abnormal buildup responsible for skipped cycles. So some women will have skipped cycles, but they're still building up blood in the uterus. It's just not getting cleaned out. That can cause pre-cancer and cancer of the uterus. We call that endometrial carcinoma. And then we also look at the ovaries to see if they reflect an anovulatory status with multiple uh, underdeveloped or arrested in development eggs or what we call follicles. So uh, polycystic ovaries, which are multiple follicles uh, around the periphery of the ovary. <coughs> Sorry. And as far as the radiologists go, they will usually say if there are 12 or more follicles peripherally located around the ovary and at least one ovary, then that's indicative are indicative or um, demonstrative of polycystic ovaries. And as I stated yesterday, you can have polycystic ovaries without the syndrome and you can have the syndrome without polycystic ovaries. So it's a little malleable. And that's the short and long of it. So uh, I know it was a lot of talking today. I don't know how long I went. I hope it didn't go too long. Uh, so those are the tests for polycystic ovarian syndrome in detail. Thank you for watching. I hope you enjoyed and appreciated the presentation. This is Dr. McDaniel in New York City, Midtown Manhattan, a few blocks west of the Empire State Building and around the corner from Macy's and from Penn Station. If you're in the area, please come on by. And let's see, please uh, follow the Facebook page, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. They're both GYN Corner and it's all things health related for women. Thank you for joining me and I'll be back tomorrow, TGIF. Thank you for joining Dr. McDaniel at GYN Corner, all things health related for women. Please subscribe and join us again soon for another episode.